0: Good to see you today. I did not realize when I was uh, speaking uh, last Sunday that the following Sunday would be Father's Day, actually. And um, it was very interesting that uh, I had th- this passage from Luke chapter 15, which we will turn to today. Um, Luke chapter 15, and that had to do with the prodigal son. We're going to read um, um, from, from verse 11 to verse 32, and today I'll be using the ESV. I am no longer worthy to be called your sons. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours, come, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, "Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours." It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your son was dead, and he is alive. He was lost and is found very very well known passage, I remember when I was a, a a kid about nine years old. we had to do this bible read bible recitation um, contest and i and our church um, made us uh memorize it in king james version so when i'm even when i 'm reading it I I, I'm, I I can I can hear the King james Version playing uh, playing around with me and I remember how it, how it was that and it says that uh he fain would fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat but no man gave him anyway i'd like to 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 share with you a little bit about being a son you know being a son and uh, one of the things that we spoke about last week was the fact that the the son portrays or manifests a certain tendency that we have um, uh, in, our, in our own lives, our own psyche, when we think about God and the things of, of the promises of God. And the son uh, manifests that same kind of uh, attitude that um, we can sometimes do there. And it says that there was a man who had two sons. Younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. We think like the son that our inheritance is ours. And we and and uh, and we can think, well, it's mine, and now I can make off with it because it's mine. It belongs to me. I'm completely in charge. I own what is coming has coming to me. And what we don't realize, of course, is that when God gives us something, He's attached to that thing that He gives to us. He ties us to Him. That thing that He gives us is given to us at His pleasure. It is not ours. In an autonomous way, in a way in which we can say, "Okay, God, I got it." Bye, bye. God is a father, and He was always going to be our father. And even though He gives us things and He gives us promises, these promises, promises are often bigger than we can we can hold. They are bigger than the person that's receiving the, the promise. We have to grow into it. But more importantly, um, when the father gives us something he is tie he ties us to himself when he gives it to us we are people who can't tolerate god our tolerance of god is so small that we would actually take his things and we would rather take those promises take those blessings and say bye bye now i want them all to myself have you ever seen a dog that gets his that you give him food the dog will sometimes, especially when he's been abused, he takes the food and then he puts it into a corner so that he will have complete autonomy over the thing, the complete control over it. And uh, we spoke about that in, uh, in, in uh, um, Genesis chapter 2 when God said, you may eat. You may eat of, ev- of every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember that? Because if you do that, you will die. And when God says, you may eat, What he means is this, I give it to you, but it is at my pleasure. If you don't understand that God, when God gives to us, it is not that so that we can consume it for our own self and become the Lord of that thing. If you don't understand that, that thing will destroy us. That thing in our own hands will own us. And there's brokenness and fallenness in us that will cause the things that we have absolute freedom over to actually destroy us. And the younger son was a little bit like that. He knew this was coming to him, and he knew that culturally, if you asked for then an inheritance earlier, you were saying in the Jewish culture, "I want you to die first. I want. I rather you die, so that I can have my thing." So what? the younger son was doing was he was expressing a complete disconnection from the father. And we spoke about that last week, about how in doing that, we as a culture can tend to be like that with God. So we focus on the blessings that God has for us, but we'd rather not have God. We'd rather be on our own. C.S. Lewis says, our problem is this, our own sin is this: we just want to be left alone to do whatever we want. When we talk about freedom in this nation, we tend to we talk about freedom as a as a as a, as a freedom from being um, 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 trammeled or being or being hindered from having our full control, our full choice. We think of freedom in terms of choice. What God gives to us is freedom in in terms of ability and in terms of peace and in terms of liberty in the heart. Yeah? Now the thing about it is that we're constantly looking for that space. We're looking for, looking for that autonomous space in which perhaps God can give us the blessing so that we can have freedom from everybody else. A freedom to be uninterrupted or un- uninterfered with. And so the youngest son comes to that place and you always find, and we saw this in, uh, in, uh, last week, that whenever we come to that place, we will always end up in the pigsty. We will always end up with the pigs. In the pig's life. And uh, many, many of you who would understand this, that uh, when the man, when the, the youngest son ended up squandering everything, he actually ended up what we call haram, which is unclean. Because he ended up in the pigsty. Right? And once you're in the pigsty, you can't, you can't go back into society. There's something about that, that autonomy that isolates you, that makes you unclean. It affects your spirit. It affects your heart. Anyway, he comes back though, and uh, he repents and comes, comes back to himself. Today, I'd like to talk not about him so much, but as the elder son. I'd like to talk about the eldest son, because the elder son, I think, has been given a really bad rap. And being an eldest son myself, I would like to speak up for the eldest son today, if you don't mind, since his Father's Day. Eldest son. I'm part of the eldest child club. My wife is also an eldest child. And so, here's the logic that Christians have. Well, the, the eldest son is... Self-righteous. The eldest son, no grace. The eldest son is all about works. And so, as evangelical Christians, we can. this is our narrative. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you are faithful. It doesn't matter that the, the younger son would live reckless, recklessly, King James Version says, riotous living It doesn't matter. In the end, it's a zero-sum game. Because whether you're righteous or you're not righteous, it's all the same. Because God has forgiven you, He's full of grace, and it doesn't matter what you do. In the end, you become a Christian. There's no distinction between someone who's faithful and someone who's not. Because it's all grace, right? You are all accepted in the beloved, we are accepted by God. So, let's not get into works and legalism and all that. Because God is so full of grace that functionally, it doesn't matter. That's how we as Christians have kind of leveled everything out. Because we are so keen on understanding the grace of God, because we are so afraid of God, that we emphasize that to the exclusion of anything that the, the eldest son has done that was faithful. What do you think? Does the grace of God cancel out the faithfulness of man or woman? Does the grace of God make faithfulness, hard work, responsibility as nothing? I have a problem with evangelicalism, that easy, cheap grace evangelicalism. I don't think it's right. I think it's a very shallow understanding of that. That does not mean that you can be saved by faithfulness. Right? That doesn't mean that we can be saved by faithfulness. But there's something wrong in our conception of these things. And so the question I have to say is this. What is there for the eldest son? So most Christians would say, well, you have to have a good attitude and be more charitable. Your don't be so condemning. Don't be so legalistic. And I agree. I agree. But how do you get there? Yeah? How do you get there? And is there anything for the eldest son? Is there anything for the eldest son? Maybe I can do it. And Paul talks about it. If grace abounds, then sin abounds even more. Maybe I can do it this way. I live my life to the fullest outside of God. Do whatever I can. And then on the last minute, on the ninth, eleventh hour, I can come back. Let some Johnny come lately and I'll say I've spent everything. I had a good time too. And uh, you know, Jesus, you died for me on the cross. And you know what? We are not into legalism nowadays. This is not this is a New Testament, this is not the old testament. And so you have please forgive me. Um, yep. Yeah, I thank you that you see me with the righteousness of Christ. And as if I never did any sin. Accept me. And the church says, you are accepted. You are included. all that. And rightly so. Rightly so. The church cannot say no. The church lives the, the grace of God. But what's there for the faithful one? What's there for the faithful one, right? I think it's too simplistic to cast the elder son as a person who's self righteous. I mean, if. I can't imagine how, why Christians can be so shallow. The elder son may be self righteous, but he has done the work, right? He's faithful. Have you seen people who never did the work? He did you harm, did the organization harm? And they are rewarded. And and when they are rewarded, the ones who are faithful, who never get any uh, affirmation or any recognition, are always watching. And it's a terrible thing to live through, you know, when you try to be faithful. And all the ones who are devious, who are virtue signaling, who are talking themselves up, are all the time getting all the accolades. They are the ones who know how to be smart in terms of talking, uh, talking political, talking um, smooth. These are the ones who are relationally adept. And the ones who are the faithful ones often are the ones who are quiet. They don't talk themselves up. And every day they see these other ones shisting. I don't know whether that's the right word. I better better take that back. I don't know why it came. I don't even know what it fully means. Ripping off the organization, ripping off other people and all that, and getting the praise because they can talk well, they can present themselves well, they can project themselves well. I have a problem with that. And I'm firmly on the side of the elder son. I'm firmly on the side of the elder son. I'm sympathetic to the elder son, who has worked his butt off. And then his younger son, who is a younger son, comes back and the father, you know what he does? Gives him the robe, which means he is fully back as a member of the family. Gives him the ring, which is authority. What? You have just squandered everything that actually belongs to the Father and and, review, and, and you, you, you just push the Father off and you get the ring and you get the shoes on your feet. The shoes mean you are part of the family, the master class. There were guests, the guests would actually take their shoes off when they come into the house. But those who are in the family, you have their shoes on okay, in, the, in that culture. So, you get all that? Doesn't it seem unfair? I, I, I have a problem with the way in which evangelicals have this easy grace, a cheap, easy grace, that actually causes a generation of people to have no character. And it's darn wrong. It's, it's just wrong that people who can speak well, who can present themselves well and, 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 and PR themselves well, get, a, get, get affirmed, whereas those people who are the ones who, actually, at the end of the day, they will, in times of trouble, stick with you. They will be the ones who will, unknown unbeknownst by anyone, they will be the ones who will stay and they will always be faithful. Whether the church is going through something good or it's going bad, they, are, they will be there. They will lay down their life for the church and nobody will know about it. I appreciate such people. I appreciate such people who maybe don't speak a lot about for themselves, but they are that way. The eldest son seems to have been not the kind of person who would do that. And so you can imagine his sense of tremendous injustice. And the thing is this, okay? I have another bone to pick. We think those people are faithful are faithful because of their personality type. Because they're gifted to be faithful. What nonsense! I want to tell you that disciplined people don't find it easier to be disciplined. I'm, I, I, I've heard... People who are in the Christian world saying, oh, this person has achieved much because they are gifted. No, because they hurt. It, it's just as hard for them as for those that is not. It's just as hard. I don't believe that you can just easily just say, ah, this person is faithful because they have that kind of type. They have the kind of gene. They've got the faithful gene. They've got the gene that makes them humble or not speak up, not, uh, who sticks by during hard times. They have that gene. No, I don't think so. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. It is just as hard for people who are disciplined to maintain discipline as it is for those who are not disciplined. I think we have a serious... Um, case of shallowness in the evangelical world, if we think that way. May I suggest to you that these faithful ones, the eldest son, don't talk a lot. They're not going for popularity. And that faithfulness is not a gifting, nor a personality type. I bet you he longed to be acknowledged. Even though he didn't demand it. I think he didn't push himself forward. But I think he would have loved to be acknowledged. Don't you think? I think that every day they would see the selfish, the unfaithful, favored. And it would sure have been nice for him to have had some encouragement. And I don't know whether he had some or not, but maybe I'm stretching it a little bit. But he didn't seem to have been encouraged by his life. In fact, he says, You know, I did not even disobey your command even once. Don't tell me that's because he's gifted. It's hard to not disobey a command. Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate my friends. And when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with with prostitutes. You killed the facet calf for him. You know, this facet calf is is a calf that's kept for a long time In, in, in case there will be a huge celebration that will come. But this calf was kept for a while for that special occasion. One calf, very tender meat, kept for that special pinnacle experience. It's pinnacle um, 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 occasion. And it was given to who? Not the faithful one, but the unfaithful one. So what do you do? So the question is, what does God have for the faithful ones? For the ones who perhaps here in our midst feel unjustly treated? You are actually a person who has tried to be as faithful as you can, Try to not draw too much attention to yourself. And every day you see these people so adept, so smooth in their relationship that they are so reckless with their life and they don't mind spending money that doesn't belong to them while you are trying your hardest to save money for your father. They are the ones who will tell you you're a skinflint. You are stingy. You are miserly. And all you are trying to do is to be faithful. Because you have regard For the family business. Let's have a look at this, okay? I want to speak especially to those of you who felt that it's not been a reward, you've not been rewarded following Christ. And it seems like the unrighteous seem to get a good pass, whereas you, you wonder whether. It's really worth it being righteous, being honest, being disciplined, being faithful to God. What say you? <laughs> the Father said three things to him. And perhaps these three things could unlock. The door to tremendous blessings for those of you who feel you've been ripped off, that life has been un- un- unkind to you, that the world is, is tilted against you, against righteousness. Let's have a look at it, okay? Verse 31, and this is where we will, we will fix on for the, for the next few moments. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the first thing the father says to the faithful son, let's put it the, the older son, is your every." You are ever with me. You are with me always. What an amazing thing. It seems as if the son, the elder son, the faithful son, didn't know the presence of the Father. He didn't realize that the Father was with him and he was with the Father all the time. Because he's so busy working, right? He's so busy being faithful, doing the right thing. And doing it right, perhaps, that he didn 't realize that what was of greatest importance that that counterbalances everything of his anger that he had, everything of his complaint is the fact the father says, "You know what you are with me i 'm with you. you have benefit of my presence, and because you have the benefit of my presence, you get the chance to have to learn from me you have." chance to be intimate with me, to know my heart, and to be able to have my acumen. You can have everything that I have in terms of my own skill, my wisdom. I'm here for you. What happened, son? I waited for you so that we could talk more. We were with you. And I appreciate the fact that you were faithful, working hard, but I was with you. And sometimes what can happen is that these faithful types can miss out on the fact that God actually has opened the door for fellowship with Him in such a way that the Christian life is not just about work. It is primarily about being with God. And if you're with God, you know what? God rubs off on you. What was happening to the eldest son is that nothing of the father was rubbing off on him. Actually, just the anger of his own, his own bitterness, his own soul, his own sense of injustice was rubbing off on him. And the father was saying, is this, look, I'm available to you. Because of your faithfulness, perhaps, because you are here, you are ever with me. You are in the, in the, the proximity, in the, in the zone in which real fellowship can happen, real witness." Withness can happen. Real intimacy, real rubbing off of me upon you. The secrets of the, 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 the Lord are with those that fear Him, Psalm 20, 25. I want to put it to you that it often happens that those who are really faithful can miss out on the joy of fellowship with God. And somehow in their whole equ- relational equation with God, there's somehow a thing that makes them feel that they have to be faithful. They have to, be, they have to do it right. They can tend to be a bit legalistic. But what, God, what the Father doesn't do is He does not rebuke Him at all, you know. He's not like many commentators who would rebuke the, the eldest son and say he's self righteous and all that, and legalistic and bit, bitter and all that. No, the father doesn't do that. The father speaks, it says he entreats him, he entreated him. That means he says, Look, you don't need to be distant from me. I believe there are some people that God is speaking here today. And like the eldest son, you're not wanting to go into the house because you think you can't go into the house. You need to just be working all the time. And what God is saying is, come in because I want to fellowship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to be able to be in my presence and not feel you're wasting time. I want you to be, be with me as much as you want because I want to be with you more than you want to be with me. And even though the, 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 the eldest son was faithful, he wasn't really with the father in a relational sense. That was for me one of the biggest barriers for me that I felt growing up. I wasn't worthy to be close to God. I wasn't worthy for God to actually speak to me or that he would want to even uh, um, 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 spend time with me. Because of the fact that I felt that I was unworthy, in some ways, we are like the youngest son who's distant from the father, because the younger son was distant from the father because he just wanted his own thing and, and, and he just wanted the father to be just out of his hair, not um, not um, interrupting or interfering with him in his business. The oldest son was a bit different. The oldest son was distant from the father because of the fact that he didn't know that the Father loved him. He doesn't know how much the Father loved him. Amen? I want to put it to you that sometimes in our devotions, we are awkward with God. Have you, have you been with in social settings in which with certain people, but there's a big crowd, we're all very ha- happy, palsy, wellsy, and, and all, all comfortable, in a crowd and then when the crowd goes away and you are alone left alone with one person suddenly it's kind of awkward and then you start talking about the weather because of the fact that it's just you and me you know sometimes our, in our relationships we can be like that we can do a lot of work but when we are together when we are on a like husband and wife on a date that's where we are together And there's nothing else to talk about besides each other. And there's no one else to distract the conversation except each other. And I feel that sometimes we do not value or prize this time that we have with one another of God. There's ways in which we can talk to each other in a marriage. If we talk about a marriage... We can talk to each other because there's lots of business to be done the house business, children business, you know, financial business, things that that, that have to be done, things that have to be done—and we can relate to each other along those lines. But it's when we are spending time together, with none of those things as a as a as a necessary agenda, that we are faced up with one another. And one of the things that I feel that many faithful Christians have missed out is on intimacy with God because they don't think they have the time or because there's an awkwardness at first. I want to put it to you that the first thing that the Father wants is your devotional life with Him. Set aside that time. Even if it's awkward, you will work through the awkwardness, but God's promise is this, that if you're willing to wait there, even if you don't know what to do, and actually, of course, in VCF. In we have all kinds of resources so that, you, that we can help you with, with that. But even if you don't know what to do, at a certain point, the Holy Spirit, who has been working in you in that waiting time, is working a deep work inside you. It's beginning to bring you to the dimension of God. bringing you up to heaven. That He will do without you necessarily feeling anything is happening. But He will do it. That's why if you wait upon the Lord, you will renew your strength. It will come. Not because you know what to do, because most of the time you don't know, and even if you know what to do, that thing that you know to do is not going to bring the presence of God. The presence of God comes at His pleasure. has at His pleasure. You can't manipulate God or, or do one, one, 105 different ways of experiencing the presence of God and read that book and then chuck it around and try to apply it. No, nothing that you do right it actually brings the presence of God. The presence of God comes at His pleasure. But His promise is this, if you will wait for me, I will come with you. And I will make sure there's time for you to wait for me. But if you don't, you could be a faithful Christian who's starving. You have a functional relationship with God in which you can get through life and He can rescue you from things, but you can't really know His heart deep because of the fact that you He's with you, but you're not necessarily with Him. Amen? So sometimes faithful people have that problem. The second thing that the Father says is this. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. Isn't that amazing? All that I have is yours. He says to the faithful one, somehow, you have to know that you have more with you, you are more rich, you are more able by supernatural means than you know. You are more powerful than you are living because all that I have is yours. Jesus said to us, The things that you will do, if you believe me, the things that, 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 that I do, you will do also, and even greater things. And I found, I found that it is true that often. And this is, forgive this generalization, it's, it's a gross generalization. People who are faithful may not necessarily be that bold. May not be necessarily bold to step out on the promises of God and the work that Christ has done on the cross. I don't know why. I'm not even going to analyze it. But sometimes faithful people have that problem They can be faithful doing things that they can't do. But when God says, look, I want you to know my power. I I I want you to know that I can heal the sick. I can cast out demons. I can raise the dead. I can cause miracles to happen through you. And it's not because of any goodness of your own. I want you to know that. I want you to know that the resource is not yours. It's mine. All that I have is yours. So you're going to draw from me from the all that I have. Have you drawn from the all that I have? Or are you satisfied with little little bits, little droplets here and there? And you've not a life in which you can say, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did, this, God did these miracles, God is, I'm familiar with that. Life is too serious for you. Uh, my daughters, uh, Elisa and Zephi, and, 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 and Kaylin knew a woman when they were at Hopkins. And she, was, she came into their life one, one day. She's not that well educated, but she's very vivacious, very free, and she had a relationship with God that made miracles and expecting to step into miracles something that was quite normal for her. She'll go into the lift, as you say, elevator, sorry, elevator she'll go into the elevator and she'll see one of the one of the painters or one of the men who was working on the building, and then she'll just speak to her with sticks to him quite nonchalantly, "Oh the you have this problem, and this god has God has shown me this about you and the man weeps and he cries and he gets converted, and God touches him, and many things tremendously happen and she just just steps away because of not because of the fact that she was trying to be like really terribly spiritual but because of the fact that spirituality was quite normal for her quite quite familiar to her and what i'm trying to tell to tell us is this god wants to bring us to a place where we are intimate with him we can hear his voice today there was a word that god is, is can be heard today god can be heard now you will not think he, he can be heard if you think that those thoughts that he's putting in your mind are from yourself. But what if you believe that word that God may be speaking to you and that the thing that you are hearing could be God? What do you think? Who? You would have been standing on the pews right there. You would have been that and you would have stepped out on it. Amen? That is the problem sometimes. Younger sons can be quite reckless. Because he is reckless, right? And I don't mean younger sons in actual chronology. I mean younger son types, right? He was reckless. You know what? The eldest son lacked. He lacked recklessness. He was, had too much wreck. Too much wreck. You need to be more reckless. You know what me wreck, wreck means, right? Rack is worry, concern, attention, attentiveness. That's wreck. So when you're reckless, you're you are worryless, a little careless. So the younger man, the young, younger boy, younger man was reckless. He lacked wreck oldest son, had a bit too much wreck, would you say? And so because of that, he never knew the riches that he had. Never knew the riches that he had. That woman that I was mentioning did not know me and did not even have the um um, did not even have the, um, the how do you say, protocol to stop herself from speaking to me and saying, I have a word for you. And she gave me a word, two words actually, that were given years ago, which today still burn in my heart. They speak to me about where we are. She was able to tell him, tell me, very clearly where the church will be, where you will be, where I would be, and, and everything like that. It was years. It's one of those prophecies that have stayed with me for a long time, quite nonchalant. I think sometimes we as faithful Christians can sometimes be, I wouldn't want to say too serious because I think we should be serious about God, but I think we can be too full of wreck. We want it all right. We want it all to be within our own control, within our own particular shape and form that we feel safe with. And as a result of that, we are not sharing the gospel with people. We are not crossing lines. We are actually quite happy for the lost to continue being lost. And what are we concentrating on? On our little to make sure that it's perfect when millions of people are going to hell. I can't imagine that. This is completely upside down. And this is the faithful ones. The faithful ones who always have their finances right. They have their plans right. They have their things all right. They are completely decorous. They are completely doing the right things. Never speak too much. Never speak too little. Just the right thing. And no one got saved. We have all our ethical I's and T's crossed crossed and dotted, but no one got saved. And I want to say, the life of God is not like that. It's not a control thing. It is something in which it is bigger than you. And if you allow yourself to know that you have all the riches of Christ in you, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And it is out of that Christ in you that miracles will take place. You will step out. Amen? Step out. Step out. There's a world that's dying. And don't be so faithful that you actually lose the big picture. Amen? And that is where I I think, we, when we come to the last part of his, his uh, the, the father's word to the, the elder son, we actually come to the heart of things. He said, we have to celebrate. We have to celebrate. We have to be joyful. Because don't you know, your brother was dead. He had taken his inheritance and had must have said words that meant I'm not coming back. So as far as I'm concerned, he's dead. I'm, he's dead to me and I'm dead to him. But my, fa- my father's heart yearns after him every day. I yearn after him. All I care about is my two sons. And if he's away from me, I cannot, cannot be happy. If my son is dying, he's in a pigsty, my heart yearns, it follows after him. And to me, the biggest thing that's, that, 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 that's important to me is that he be alive again. Do you realize what it means to me that my son, who has treated me with complete disrespect, who has anatomized me, I cannot help loving him. The only thing I want is for him to come back. I cannot stand for him to be in the pigsty dying. My son was dead. Now he's alive. Do you understand that? How can I live without my son? I can't imagine how you can be faithful and still not care about the fact that my son was dead, and he's now alive. Do you see that? You have it all wrong. You've got the, the, the wrong end of the telescope. You make a big thing small and a small thing big. You don't have enough love for your son, but God can give it to you. You see, because the most important thing is not just the fact that I am with you and you have everything that I have is yours. The important thing is that I'm so happy that my son is back. Aren't you? So how can it be that you can be so evangelical, so right, so so whatever it is, so ethically this, and you don't mind for my sons to be and my daughters to be going to hell. I don't understand that. Because there's a pool of infinite love. That's enough for you. It's enough for your. Your brother and your brother saw somehow that little bit of that pool of love. But that was for you as well. All I have is you. All my moments are yours. I'm with you all the time. Do you know what I mean? I think the church is slightly upside down. It is slightly upside down. All we need to do is to start praying and say, God, give me a love for the lost. Give me a love for the lost. Give me a love for the younger son. Give me a love because I don't have it. I'm more offended than anything else. But give me a love because I don't have it. But because of the new covenant, when Christ died on the cross, I died. And my flesh died with Him. But the Holy Spirit is given to me as a new nature that's come to me. I'm going to draw on that because all that you have, all that, I, that God has is mine now. I'm going to draw on that love. Amen. I understand that as a father. If any of my children are slightly troubled, slightly off, slightly this, you know I will pray for them. I'll pray for them unceasingly. The heart of the Father is the big picture. Not the transactions, not the The heart of the Father is this infinite pool of love that is staring us in the face, not asking us to find lessons, but to appreciate the fact that how great is the Father's love for us. You want to be close to God? Be close to the things that are in God's heart. Because there's lots of people who are dying, who the Father's heart is chasing after. Amen? And so what we have have to understand from this is this. That the Father loves us. And some of us who may be running away from Him or rather have their own um, autonomy, or those who are, more, who are more faithful but who think that they have to earn God's graces, you've got to understand this. There's an untapped pool of God's grace and power and miracles and provision that's there for you. You step out and say, God, it's not about me. I want to know this. I want to know, Lord, the power of your resurrection and the, and the grace of God that's been me, given to me. Amen? Let us pray. Speak to fathers, speak to mothers, children, Perhaps there's been some disconnect. How great is the Father's love for us. I remember when my father died um, in 2007, the word that the Lord gave to me was, Behold what manner of love the Father has given towards us, that we should be called the children of God. And I knew my father to be one who had no favorites. We never had this sense that if God gives to one or my father gave to one, the others will have less. It's never that. Because there's an infinite pool of God's love. And your brother, your sister, getting something that they don't deserve doesn't take away one iota of what what God has made available for you. And so I want to invite you to repent if you are feeling bitter or unjustly treated by God. You just have to know that God's resources for you are much greater than that favor or, re, or resource or blessing that that unworthy person that you know has managed to rip off, rip you off. Bless your name, Lord.
1: Lord, we thank you so much that you are doing a work right now. Your word does not return void. We pray for those, God, who saw the pain um, between the younger brother and you, Lord, and got involved in the battle and used everything in their, their own resources and even your resources, Lord, to make a difference and became all about that battle. We just thank you right now. That you release the sword from their hand that's been fighting and fighting and fighting whatever fears were there, fears of poverty, fears of what might happen when the brother went away, uh, when the family was disdained, whatever it is that uh, the culture would put on us and on him right now, we thank you in Jesus' name that you take that sword out of our hands. You take the sword out. You say, I've won the battle. I won the battle for the brother, the younger brother. I won the battle for you. I have it all, and I have complete justice, and I am infinitely good. And so, Lord, we just surrender to that pool. We surrender. We just jump into the pool of your infinite love right now and say, take over take over our days. Please come and take our thoughts and keep Holy Spirit bringing them back to your love. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. So Lord, we welcome your love. We want to come under the shelter of your fatherhood. And we thank you that we're never too old for that. So we thank you, Lord, that there's shelter, there's such love, Love like we've never known in you. And so we release any kind of angst that we have, any sense that the world, in its unjustness, its true fallenness, has, a, has as a hole over us. And we come to you, Lord, we say, Lord, you are our Father, and we give ourselves back to you. We give you all our autonomy back to you, Lord. And we want to be tied to you, Lord. We thank you for today, for Father's Day. We thank you for all the fathers that are here. And we ask you that you raise up more and more sons who will be fathers like you. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.